Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can, the best way possible, while dodging some bullets doing so. Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me. Don't feel like you're on your own because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage. Why isn't that enough? And that doesn't make me special. What is making me special is my deeper story. People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in a job. Wake up at five in the morning and like go to the gym for an hour. Like, what the fuck is that? You're sitting at your desk crying and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was like, ah, everybody gets a title. You get a title. You get a title. Either pay me or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Noah Mats, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's kick off with some, something basic. Who you are, what do you do, and why do you do it? Okay. Those are good questions. Well, I'm Noah. And I'm a social psychologist in training. And in my day-to-day, I'm a startup psychologist. I gave this title, this name, this brand to myself, meaning it's not a special... I haven't learned it, how to be a startup psychologist. I'm a social psychologist. But in the past few years, I've been working with uh, founders, with startup founders and venture capitalists on getting to know and to understand deeply the personality and the dynamics of startup founders. And why do you do it? What drew you into that specific niche? So when I decided that I want to pursue this to be a psychologist, it was clear to me that I don't want to be a clinical psychologist. Meaning it's not for me to sit on a, like this all day and discuss and talk about very specific aspects of a personality of a person's life and personality, it was clear to me. And it was also clear to me from, from my past, from my childhood, from the way I brought up, that the business world is very appealing to me. It's very interesting for me. When I grew up alongside my dad, who is a businessman, I understand that I, I have this. I understand. I understand business. There is a whole world of 
mental aspects to the business world. And I knew that I want to combine them. I just didn't know how. So when I took my MA, I started to expose myself to the entrepreneurship world, world and startup world and, and venture capital. And then I understand there's, there's a gap here, a psychological gap. From the one hand, we have investors. The investors want to get to know the founders and much more deeper level than knowing the market of, 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 of this startup or knowing the technology of the startup or knowing the, let's say, the business aspects of the company. They want to get to know the founder, the personality of the founder and the dynamics between the founders to make sure that we can trust them. We can trust them to take this path and make it work. And on the other side, we have startup founders. It's not easy to be a startup founder. It's mentally challenging and there's not much of, uh, you can't really find professionals, psychological professionals, they can speak the language, their language of business, of entrepreneurship. They really do understand this graph of ups and downs that they experience and why do they experience that and in what way can we snap them, help them to snap out of it. So I understood that a few years ago and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now let's find the way to do it. And fast forward a few years and uh, here we are. That's incredible. And the relationship between a VC and a startup founder is very unique. What was the first transaction you had as a psychologist saying, I can take on this startup and help them? How did it come about? It all started in the um, entrepreneurship club where I took my MA. It was the IDC. And I got to know founders and I got to know VCs. And this is the, the, the way I build my practice, actually. I use the connections and the knowledge I gained there to build uh, my practice as a startup psychologist. How did you get the first real client? Well, mostly it was from the connections I gained in the IEC because in this club, investors, they love coming there and help entrepreneurs. It also, also connects them to the ground. It connects them to the earlies, to the early stages. This is where I got my first client because they knew me from working in the, in the club And it was very easy to, to get my first client that way. So the VC approach, you're saying, help us with this company? No, no one approached me. Nah, uh, no, 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 <laughs> okay. no, no, no. So you had to go and, and, and sell yourself? For over a year, I think it took a lot of selling. I needed to educate the market. It's not a strong common practice to use a psychologist to assess founders and uh, to help founders grow, to help them mentally and their crises and their challenges. So I had to educate the market and it took a while and I got so many no's and so many uh, they hung up the phone and said no thank you over email and it wasn't easy. And I think that's why it's easy for me to relate and to connect to founders because I know what it's like when you're being told no, when you're being told, thank you, that's nice. Thanks, Han. That's nice, but not, not for us. Maybe next time. Or thank you. That sounds brilliant. And no one answers yeah. to yeah. your phone calls. So a few things I want to I double click on. Yeah. One is that the willingness to pay for a psychologist in yeah. one's personal life, you know, everyone understands, can, not everyone, but some people understand it's beneficial, it's worth, other people can't justify. 
100 bucks per hour two three four times a week like yeah very hard to justify yeah and then doing that in a business context where you not only compete over the money but you also compete over the time and attention and if it's people who haven't been through therapy before they might mm-hmm. have the wrong idea as to what this will do for them yeah um so there is i'd say more than a lot of education to do that's a good question i think founders in all stages they need this kind of position this kind of professional like me to help them get through specific situations mental challenges and come back to a, a mental state that allows them to operate and you know in an efficient strong way that they're supposed to when they're required to you know that but do they know yeah that? yes that's that's a very good question so early stagers they can't afford it so I understood that working through the fund will be a much smarter thing to do meaning I will work with the fund the fund will pay me to help and support the mentally and organization an organizational perspective to their portfolio founders to the portfolio companies so the most amazing team of f2 venture capital it's a Israeli venture fund and there I'm part of the team and it's almost it's natural for me to work with our founders so the founders don't pay me they don't have to they don't have to pay me just they just have to trust me and I think building the trust, It's much harder than making someone pay you in my kind of business. You know, we dive in to such intimate um, you content. Get, you get to know everything about them. Yeah. What they do right, what they do wrong. Yeah. It's especially hard, I imagine, yeah. because you're coming from the investor side. Right. How do you make them confide in you knowing that afterwards you go and you get your salary being paid by the person who's investing back? I'm really happy you said that because that's a ch- that was such a challenge for me when I do this kind of partnership with a VC when I did this started this partnership and becoming part of the team at f2 it was so clear that I'm on the founder side and it's clear that I'm not if I'm not going to be in the founder side then they would never trust me so it's clear that we have this there's a, this line that we're not going to cross if I think we need to incorporate the VC the The board member the partner in our discussion which happens quite often then I will suggest it to the founders suggest it to the to the um, to the team I will say okay this is such a great time to ask him in and consult him consult with him what do you think on all kinds of perspectives I'm kind of a, a mediator between the fund and the founder and I always keep them connected because the investor they have so much to give to To the founder the bond is not always natural so I help them connect and when dealing with folks who are relying on their egos in the best possible way mm. to move forward to stay attentive to their intuition to their gut feelings someone says you know let me give you a hand here you're not always so happy to accept it that's true they are sometimes you know they are smart individuals very intelligent and And they make they do the math they say okay she's on the investor side it's risky for me I think that's that's my job actually that's my talent to make people feel 
comfortable that I can trust me. And my reputation on that aspect is my most important thing because I can't make mistakes. I can't break no one's trust because I become irrelevant from that moment on. I've been on the other side of it where I sat down with an organizational consultant. Yeah. I'm here for you. Anything you need, I'm on your side. Let me help you with ABC. And I'm like, okay, so this person did that and that person did that. Guess what? The same afternoon, I get a phone call. Hi, listen, maybe we should speak about... And I'm like, well, is this coming from... And when you hear the words, you know, that person repeats my words to me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that room is not a safe space for me. Yeah. It's not a place for me to open up. I can get advice about other people. How should I approach other people? Because I know I'll get it, but I'm not going to put my eggs in that basket. And that's so natural. Being an intelligent person that can do the math, you understand that this is not a safe space for you, just like you said. As I said, this is my job to make them feel comfortable, to make sure that I'm maintaining this trust and I deserve the trust. It doesn't always work, meaning I always put it on the table. I always say to the founder, I understand this is not trivial. It's, it's okay. This is my job now to make you feel comfortable, to make you trust me. Let's start with the small things. Let's work on your team scale. How do you scale your team? Let's work on the, on the objectives, meaning not, you don't have to share. You don't have to put your heart on the table yet. That's okay. Let's build our relationship first based on easier things. And then it just happened. The magic happens. And most of the time. I think the issue of a hi the hierarchy is very important. That there mustn't be hierarchy in, this, in those sessions that I have with, with founders. I would never tell them, this is what you should do. I'm, I know better. Even though sometimes I'm sure they want to hear that. I'm sure they want to hear that. Maybe they need to hear that. Maybe I've seen this specific case countless of times. And this is what I need to say right now, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say this is what you need to do. I don't know what he needs to do. I'm not in his shoes. I can offer him tools to see a variety of options, to step out of when we're stressed, when there's so many things going on, then we're, we have this tunnel vision. It happens too. I want to say most of it. I think I spent four years now in, a, in that, in that mode. We can talk about this also. <laughs> you want to talk about there, there's this? Something Let's about do it. this. I just want to spill the beans. <laughs> I want to tell you everything. <laughs> so tunnel vision. I want to, they step into the room. Now the magic is allow them to take off the, whatever it is that makes them, make us, makes us tunnel vision and help them like, I imagine it like they, 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 they're our head. Oh, I don't want to say they. Our head is in the water and we're lifting up our head and we can see above the water. Wow, there's so many possibilities. This is where I want to get to in our sessions. My job is to make the entrepreneur feel worthy, feel effective, feel this. I got this. I can do this. Many times they step into the room, you know, you can see this, you can see it in their, in the way they, in, in their posture. They just, they don't have energy. It's, I, I, I can't do this anymore. They have this, you know, it's so important to take this. Okay. This is the sign that they took off the mask. They took off the mask. Thank you. Hold it for me. Hold the mask for me. And we're holding the mask together for an hour. It's Okay to be weaker now. It's okay to be stressed now. It's okay. Here you can be whatever you want. You don't have to perform. No, you don't have to.
And just by doing this, and for me to be empathic toward him and to say, this is so hard. This is so hard. The situation you're in, it's so hard. And I've seen it so many times. It's, it's so natural. And it is because when they come to me, it's, I see the same things. It's, you know, patterns. They deal with, founders deal with the same issues. It's, it's, very, it's very similar what I see, the, the, the challenges I see between them. So just by saying this, saying them, okay, this is natural. This is, it happens so many times. I've seen it so many times and giving them examples, obviously with no names or identifications. I've seen it happen so many times. Is this look, let's look at this example. It just happened. It just happened the other day. It's okay. Even just by describing what they're feeling to them, they know you've seen this before. Right. You go in and if this is the first or second time you're going through a similar process and you're sometimes you're, you're missing the words and you say, Does that feel like, uh, like, did you feel it here in your chest? Do you keep thinking about it when you go to bed? Are you afraid she's going to walk away? And then, you know, they're like, yeah, how do you know? How do you know? To put a name on the emotion. This is, this is what I feel right now. Even, use, even using the word I feel. He just, he, or let's say she, okay? She, because they're also women. She just stepped out of the office and she should be now the, you know, the strong person. person that she is using very precise words and facts and everything should be um, realistic and now she's stepping into this space and I should use emotions and how I feel and, and I'm trying to help them put a label on it this is how I feel right now this is what it makes me feel this feelings it makes me act in a certain way and connect the dots how my feelings are Is leading me to certain behaviors is leading me to certain feelings to certain behaviors. Is it, I feel like I haven't answered your question yet did I we'll probably take it in <laughs> take it in bites but the, the you're starting to talk about an idea that say uh, I find fascinating mm. which is how I feel how I behave and then who I am and how that changes in the different context so True. and that's and that's insane like being able to disassociate myself from my feeling I'm not an angry person I am just angry right now right I think this would be acquiring that skill set is is huge so my question is how do you help them label their feelings and emotions but also maintain a sense of of, of core of identity because mm. you're saying you want them to live their own feeling empowered feeling Fun. capable yeah Your question takes me to a very uh, basic mental flexibility, very basic. The concept that I can change in between situations, that I'm not an angry person. No, you're not an angry person. You're angry right now. It's okay to be angry. And the other side should, if it's done in the right way and in the right volume, should be able to handle your anger. The, the ability to change my emotions, to change my thoughts, to be flexible in between situations, it's a fundamental skill for a founder. I had a, a meeting with one of my colleagues in the, in one of the, in, in, in the big funds in Israel. So he's a, he became a good friend. And he told me in the beginning of the meeting, he said, no, you're tired today. And I said, no, it's just because it's you. So I allow myself. I allow myself to, to slouch. I allow to be, myself to be a bit tired because I understand that this context allows it. But then the following meeting, no way. 
I cannot slouch. I cannot be tired. I have to be in, in my best performance. So even regardless of, of Noam Matz as a startup psychologist, yeah. there is a benefit in that 0.5% of a space where an entrepreneur can go and be himself or herself. Regardless, like 99.5% of the time, you be that person, fine. But there is one room in the office, one hour in the week, where you can lower your guard down for a second and, and catch a breath. Because what we know about these people is that even when they are not in the office, they are at work. This type of work is absolutely relentless. It doesn't, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't punch out, you know. So that's another part of identity because some folks who have been doing it for long enough, you know, this is all they know. Maybe I've been two years into this mm -hmm. company and I forget what it's like feeling differently, living life without stress. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, it like I don't even remember what, what does it feel like to get my head outside of the water. Saying, you know, find the person, find your person that you can talk to, that you can be yourself with. So important. But I don't think you need a psychologist to tell you that i mean i think the 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 most the more interesting um aspect aspect of this is i don't want the founder to be dependent on me no i want to help him develop the skill of being flexible of being um emotionally regulated give him tools that i use for myself even this is the th those are the tools i can offer you let's build your strength and part of this of this mental strength is and mental flexibility is understanding that it's okay not to be with the mask on all the time you don't need to be the startup founder 99 of the time meaning in the in the persona to be inside the persona it's okay to be yourself and i think it's it's part of the growth process that I see with founders, that it's okay not to be in the character all the time. If you ask him or her, she's not in the character. It's, you know, we just had this discussion. I'm not in the character, it's who I am. But it's so tiring that we have to have the ability to not be this, not be this all the time. I wonder how many people experienced that consciously, like saying, I step into the office, I wake up, Now I'm putting my professional facade, especially when so many things get blended into one. You want to create a, an office environment where everyone feels, you know, like it's a family, like it's a friendly environment. And yet, mm -hmm. you know, there's a persona to maintain. Okay. Um, even, even our phones while now, you know, working devices. On one thread, I'll be texting my girlfriend. And on the other, I'll be having an argument with someone. And it happens on the same screen. So context switching becomes... A fundamental skill in understanding like what sets of behaviors are acceptable at what context is that the work that you do intentionally with founders I think that when we back with our money early stage founders that we need to understand that we cannot back them with just money we need to give them such a big variety of resources one of the reasons we started the show was yeah. because um, we felt like there is a lot of collateral damage in the innovation ecosystem, meaning yeah. you take aspiring founders, super talented individuals who are good at one or two things, building yeah. a product, writing code, managing people, whatever it is, 
and then you unload a shit ton of money on their back and you give them a timer that says, you know, 10x this in the next 18 months or 24 yeah. months. And it just creates an unsustainable environment. Well, if you only give them, if you only give them the money, if you only give them the capital or the opportunity, you're leaving them to cope with a lot of things, mm-hmm. stress, doing things for the first time, and so on. So it makes sense to me that that F2 realizes, hey, we can't just give them the the uh, ability to carry this out. We also need to enable it in, in a deeper sense. So why did they bring in a psychologist instead of a coach? There's bringing a mentor or bringing a business coach is different than bringing a psychologist. A business coach, you know, it's, it's very obvious. He needs to support me in my business milestones, in my KPIs. This is something that the fund is doing herself. The partners, the associates is being this, the infrastructure. So a KPI could be a certain amount of sales no. or hiring right. or whatever it is, like a business milestone. There is a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the VC in it for the ride, they help you out. Exactly. It's, it's their problem as well. Obviously. Okay. They give you this KPI to give you the direction. This is where you should, this is where I think you should go now. Obviously, it's, it's, it's decided together. Yeah, with it's, the it's conversational mutual decision. Exactly. This is where we're heading. This is what the KPI that will keep us in this direction, right? My job is, is different than a mentor work, than a business coach work. My job is to make sure that the number one element, which we see as the number one element, is founder psychology, is checked. Founder psychology is the one, number one factor for full startup success. Has it happened to you that you work with someone yeah. and you leave a session and yeah. you realize, I need to raise a flag. Mm. Uh, this train is, is off the rails. What can cause that and how would you help a founder that's kind of losing their path mentally? I think the partner has an important role of building a relationship with his founders with the founders he backs. Part of my work is also to make sure that this, there is this kind of relationship, that the founders feel comfortable enough with the partners in the fund that backs them. That's first. If I feel that there is a, a big problem or a few big challenges in the company, then first I will map them with the founders. I will make sure that we have a plan and I will also ask for their approval to consult with the partner. So you mentioned that even though each case has its own different circumstances and whatnot, Mm -hmm. some of the challenges faced by founders are similar, that you've seen them before. What are some of the challenges that founders are dealing with? In specific stages, I see specific challenges. One of the challenges that we would see, for example, is when the company is growing and the scale starts. It's a positive place to be for a startup. Then we can see that the CTO sometimes, till now, he used to write code when needed, he used to manage employees, meaning the R&D team when needed, he used to go with his co-founder, the CEO most likely, to meetings with investors, but now the company has grown and each has his own place 
And the work of a CTO is sometimes ambiguous, meaning each CTO needs diff from, differently from a CEO of a VP R&D or a chief product. The CTO needs to find his own niche and his own necessity where he's needed. Each company, it's, 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 in each company, it's different. This is so weird to me because when you think of CTOs, a technical partner, mm. it's like the most sought-after commodity in mm. tech, an executive with technical background. And you're saying there could be a situation where those individuals, after a certain stage, right. find themselves a little purposeless. Definitely. They found themselves purposeless. It's not because they don't have value, but they need to find it. They need to find their new position because the CTO in, in the beginning with the you know, early stagers, like garage mode for people kind of situation, it's very clear. There's so much things to do. I touch as a CTO in every aspect regarding the technology and the, the company. I will reset your password for your computer. I will open your mail account and I will also register a patent that was... Billions of dollars. And I will also pitch to the investor about the technology because in it's usually in a healthy company, the CEO would not be able to drill down technologically in the same way that CTO can. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy, it's a good situation. So the CTO is needed everywhere. And then the company is growing. And now we have a VP R&D or a VP engineering. And this, what am I doing if I don't have day-to-day -day things, if I don't have tasks? It's either we see that the executives... the founders and the executives, not necessarily the founders, either they see that they naturally and organically grow with the company and they adapt and adjust their skill set with the changing needs of the company. Either we see that it's a big... Like there's friction. Exactly. Yeah. In this situation, it will, we'll see the side effects of this in other places, in the company or in the team. And then usually I'll be able to see, to say, okay, this is a side effect of this. This situation is a side effect of, of you need to a bit maybe adjust or understand that now the company has grown and needs different kind of management or different kind of skill set. I remember a time when I was with Joel that uh, we had to scale. We had to like 10x in a very, very short period of time. Mm -hmm. I felt tremendous pressure and I think it changed how I communicate. I became very brief, very mm -hmm. irritable, uh, very anxious. Um, I was very forceful with how I tried to get things across. And to the point where someone had to sit me down and say, listen, you're no fun to work with anymore. Would that be a symptom for, for such changes in a company? So I think that what you're describing is a symptom. First, a symptom of stress, stress that is a, is a part of the game and we see it everywhere. The company pivots, the company grows, people come and go. We start from managing ourselves and another person. And then a year later, we were managing 20 employees, 40 employees. We have business, we have customers, we have investors. It's a lot of fronts. So being stressed is, is part of it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I want to talk about the situation in which things need to change in, in the way we manage the company. In the way, let's say, for example, we have... In the past, let's say, few months, we've added 10 new customers. Now, we can't handle all the customers just as founders. We need to step up. We need to bring customer success. We need to, be, we need to bring product managers. We need to bring people that can manage those customers so we won't have churn. And this is part of the, of the mental change that the founder needs to digest. I can't hold everything and do everything myself. I can't control every situation or every relationship in my company. Now I need to allow someone else to do it for me so I can do other things, strategic growth things. So I think this is an example for the kind of growth that we want to help founders, the kind of leap we want to help, help founders do. I can't do everything now anymore. Is that hard for them to accept? Because it sounds to me like a desirable outcome. You've built something, now people buy it, mm. and you need help managing that growth. Why is that even a challenge? Aren't they like anxious to get that first hire here to delegate some of that work? It's not only making do the hire. It's delegate. It's trust. To give trust to someone that you barely know, and it's, it's your baby. It's easy, much easier said, said than done. So for some of us, it's easier. And for some of us, it's harder. And it's for me, I feel it's so natural because as I said, this is your baby. You're keeping it and growing it for, for so long now. It's just, it was just me by now and my founder, which I usually, usually trust with my life. And now I have to give someone else do this. So it's. I'll let you know what, what uh, my excuse yeah. in this situation is like, listen, I've had this happen this week. I'm like, Listen, I'm already so uh, so deep into that problem. It's not a good time for me to hand it over to you. Yeah, because because uh, by the time I tell you everything that it needs to be done, it will take more time. It exactly. will take more time to to teach you everything. I'll do it myself. What's your advice in these cases? I'm asking for a friend, not not for me. No, yeah, for a friend. <laughs> so, uh, dear friend, I think we should use our judgment. And sometimes it is true we're still startup mode. Maybe there are certain things that I better do myself, get them done. But for future uh, growth, for scale purposes, we must remember that we can't do, can't do everything ourselves. So this, this should be the header, the header of, of this situation. 
would I disturb my company from growing if I'll take this work mm. now? If I won't allow someone else to learn how to do this, how to take this task. So now I'll do it myself, but then I will need to do it again and again and again. And it will avoid me from doing things that a founder should do, that a CEO should do, that a CTO should do. That should be the... Got it. Got it. Yeah. So do it as long as it doesn't disrupt growth. Do it as, it doesn't, as long as it doesn't slow us down. Exactly. And another aspect of this is do it as long as you don't make someone else feel unnecessary. How do you demand a certain standard of performance without coming across as egomaniac or evil or whatever it is? Sense of urgency. Sense of urgency is the one of the most discussed issues. How do I make people feel like it's theirs as much as it is mine? And I connect it with charismatic leadership. You don't have to be a charismatic person, right? Charismatic person. leader is someone that makes you feel that you are needed. I can't do this without you. And I can't say I can't do this without you and then, then doing it without you. I need to actually not do things without the person that's supposed to do this thing and allow him to feel this is yours. I don't have the skills to do it without you. I can't do it without you. Not because I don't have time, because I just can't. You're the expert. And I want to bring people around me that are smarter than me. You know, that's a cliche, but let's talk about it. I was about to say like... Sorry, yeah. It's a cliche, but let's talk about the cliche because it, ha- it makes sense. I want to surround myself with people that are smarter than me in the specific thing that they do. They will be the authority in this specific thing in the company and the team. And I must make sure that I always give them this feeling that they are the experts. Using words like, I need you in this. I can't do this without you. You know, you're leading this path, this project, this thing in the company. And the charismatic leader will always know how to make people come after him because they want to feel valuable. People want to feel valuable. They want to feel important. And if you will let him, let them feel important, they will come after you. So I want to challenge this dynamic for a second. Okay. When you're sitting with the founder, so it's just you and her, you're in the room, you're talking about the things that happened, but you have only her perspective to go on. And she can describe interactions and things that have happened outside of the room. And the only thing you have is the way she phrased it for you. When it's clearly, at best, only 50% of the story. Mm. How do you eliminate that bias and how do you... create a rounded picture of the scenario when all you get is what that person just told you? I know all founders. And if they have important executives in the team that I know that are influencing the dynamics, I make sure to get to know them also and form a relationship with them also. And I make sure to have as a wide vision as possible on the team and to have the visual not only of one founder, but... As many people as possible. And that's the difference. So when you're working with a company in order to eliminate that, that bias, you don't just work with the CEO or CFO. Yeah. You work with the executive team or the founding team. So 
their contribution in the conversation is only part of the data set you analyze when you're helping them through that situation. If I will be called to sort out a crisis or help with a crisis in a founding team, then obviously I will need to get to know the entire founding team and I will also ask them, are there people in the company that I need to meet that you're in high interaction with, that they know this challenges between you very well, that they can give me a perspective When I step in a company, when I start work with a company, then the initial phase will be the observation to talk to as many people as possible, just to sit there and to say that will be my first line, by the way, I need you to help me do my job better. You're not gossiping about anyone. You're not, I don't know if I can say talking trash about anyone. You're not doing damage to anyone. Just share with me the things I should know, the gaps that, exists in the team so I can be a better help. Do you find people are skeptic around receiving this type of help? Today, not, not as much because I think I've proven myself to be helpful. I have, you know, people are speaking for me and success is speaking for me. So a lot less. The kind of, you know, it's not easy to step into such a process. You need to talk about yourself. You need to share everything. You need to do it usually in the middle of a work day, like those emails and meetings, and then those emails and meetings, mm. and then in between, there's no much who wants me to speak about my feelings for one hour. Exactly. Like, it's hard for me to speak about my feelings for one hour in a date, than, than <laughs> let alone in the middle of a work day. Yeah. So, you know, when you're saying this, I think about the word fluff. Fluff is the, my biggest enemy. I have black belt in fluff. I can speak with you for one hour and not say one thing that has <laughs> real nutritional value. So I can never be there. If I'll be fluff, and if I won't make sure that I'm combining their business challenges and w- worries to our conversation, then they're not going to come again. They should be value in, our, in every second of the meeting. Maybe first, the first time is a bit hard and stepping into the process you know, is, it's a, is a bit hard, but pretty quickly, it becomes fun. It, it become, becomes a positive part of the day, like a good part of the day. I wanted to talk to you about the, um, how VCs assess founders. Mm. So we know what it's like in a job interview. You pick up the phone, phone interview, making sure that your past is actually your past. Then you meet in person, if you hit it off, you get a home assignment or two or three, and then presentation, maybe another interview or two, done, got the job. When a company, when a VC assesses a company, you know, it's the technology, it's the timing, it's the team, it's the founders. What is the assessment like on this psychological level? What are founders? Mine, my part. Your part. So okay. how do you assess uh, founders and, and what recommendations do you relay back? I always... remind myself that although now I'm my job is to assess I must build build relationship because most likely this founder that I'm meeting with will be a founder which I will want to create a relationship with so I can grow with him you know on the second aspect of my work with is I hate this word but it's the easiest is coaching working with them mentally the performance enhancement part So I always remember that when I meet with founders for, to assess them, to give them a good experience, which I think this is one of the things that investors generally should pay attention to. 
to provide the person you're with with a good experience. They will feel competent and strong and smart with you. And also it will increase the chances that he will take the money or she will take the money from you because you make them feel good. When I assess founders, first I want to make sure that there is the values, the mindset is pretty similar between the investors and the founders. If this is a kind of VC that is very much involved and wants to help and is a is taking part of the day-to-day of the founders and the companies. Proactive participation. Very proactive. Thank you. That's exactly the word. Very proactive. But I want to make sure that the other side, that the founders would want to accept, that they can accept feedback, that they are coachable, that they want to learn, that they want to bring the investors in. And this is a good base for working together. So I want to make sure that this is, first of all, happens. That there's a connection. We can find connection between the two. They will work good together. Then I would look for, I will disclose my secret sauce of, I would try to make sure that we've spoke about this. Mental flexibility is there. Emotional regulation is there. Charismatic leadership is there. The dynamics in the team is such a dynamics that everyone has a place at the table. And that, for example, let's say they're not, you know, the, the most common example is three techies from A200. Three of us, we know the same. We came from the same unit in the army. We had the same path. We love each other. We're very smart. We're very good at what we do. And we want to build a company together. But is this the best thing for the company? Most likely not. Because all three of you, you know the same. So first, you don't bring any new value. And second, the chances of you to disagree are much higher. Because as we said before, you remember, we said we need each and every one of us has his own expertise, has his own territory. So three of them are on the same territory. Then most likely they're in some points will disagree. So this is something also that I want to make sure that they're separated enough in terms of skills and, and capabilities. And like you said about the CTO, it's, it's healthy when the CEO can't do the CTO's job. Mm. It's a, it creates, if I understand correctly, it creates a codependency in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need her. I need her expertise. I can't do her job like her or better than her. Then naturally, I'll be respectful of her territory, of her opinion. Hopefully, she'll do the same. Exactly. Exactly as you said. Because if the CEO, is, CEO has too many technological knowledge, then it's a problem. We've all worked for a manager who looked over our shoulder and tried to do our work better than us. Yeah. Uh, micromanagement would be one of the prime reasons for people to leave a, a manager or workplace. So mental flexibility, right. uh, emotional regulation, right. charismatic leadership, right. and then the dynamics between the founding team. Exactly. That's the, the basic mental models. There's, there are others, but that's coachability. That's, that's the, the center. When founders start their company and they're approaching a VC, they have to negotiate, of course, the investment, the terms for the investment, the, the future of the company, the goals. Mm-hmm. And, but do they also take into consideration that there might be a time where they're no longer the right person for the role they have? I think that the right way to analyze a company, to make a decision regarding a company, is who you have now. Because you, you don't know if the founders will be good for the company later on or not, and if they're not going to be good for the company, would they want to step out, yes or no? 
I would like to assess the company the way it is right now. And that's the way I see it. You can't forecast into the future. We talk a lot about imposter syndrome. And we say, no, you are capable. You are successful. You're not an imposter. But there's also the other side of it of saying, yes, actually, you know, you might not be the right person for that role in two years' time. It happens afterwards when, you know, I'm in my other hat. If it would, have, if it would not have happened that I'm not doing my job properly, it means that he cannot doubt himself with me. But it does not happen in a meeting with a VC to get money. How can you assess whether or not a person really believes in themselves? I think to the extent to which he pursues his dream and vision. How many customers or potential customers did he talk to? How many founders did he date before he chose his co-founder? He knows this is what he wants to do. Now he's going to find the way. The world will do what he needs to do in order to this, for this to work. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to find the best person. I'm going to find the right customers. They're out there. I'm going to speak to whomever I need to speak. I'm going to do whatever I need to do, but this is going to happen. So maybe the amount of work he's doing around it, the passion he has for this is it comes across in everything a person does and say when he knows this is what he wants to do. This is the right thing to do. I love it because they say faith or belief is knowledge without clarity. It's like, I know I can get this done even though I don't necessarily know how. And you're making it very tangible. You're saying, oh, actually, I can quantify faith and belief. If he met with 10 founders before he chose the one, then, then obviously he's passionate about it and he has an idea of how it should look like. If he spoke to 50 customers, you know, the effort implies that he believes that this thing could work. Mm -hmm. So I like it and I think it's a, it's a great benchmark. Ask yourself, like, okay, so you believe, but what have you done to back that belief up? What have you done to make others believe? Are you not afraid to do whatever it takes? Are you not afraid to work hard for this? Because when we are not sure about something, that we're hesitant about something, I'm not going to put all of my eggs in this, in this basket because I'm not sure this is going to work out. But when I'm sure this is it, then this is it. Yeah. Then I'm going to do everything I need. I'm, 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 I'm going for it. So when do people pick up the phone? Noah, this and that happened. What happened? When I have a close relationship with a founder, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. A certain dynamic or conversation or something happened in the office or he wants to motivate a certain person or she felt that she hurt someone or an employee or a partner or a founder when she said something, how can I take it back or fix it? It doesn't have to be that dramatic. When we have a good and solid relationship, then she will, he will give me a call or text me for anything. We can talk about the small things and we can talk about the crisis. And the crisis doesn't look like such a crisis when you know you can reach out and get help. I'm not the fixer. I'm not going to fix it for you. I'm going to fix it with you. And it's okay that it's not fixed. We don't need everything to be fixed. We need to make things good for you so you as a founder can work, can be efficient, and you can, you can handle it. You can handle things your own. When we have this relationship, first, I can tell when there's a crisis. I'm there already. I'm, I'm part of the flow. It's yeah. much easier. We're in and out. We're in and out. It's not as dramatic as, okay, now we have a crisis. Noah is coming with her, you know, 
the the cape the yeah. psychologist cape no. and the one to solve problems well it's great for branding but it's not like that i want to be the first phone call because they call me all the time i think that's more like it that's a very aspirational how would you suggest founders who don't have the same safety net that the f2 guys and your clients get how should they approach and seek out advice and help so as we, you said have this person B, make sure that it's, you know, it's easier said than done again, but your co-founder is the most important person in your life. I mean, aside family, of course, husband, wife, kids, but he is or she is the most, most important person in your life right now. And you should take care of her or him just as much you take care of yourself. This is your responsibility as her or his co-founder. To make sure that she feels good, that she feels empowered, that she's that her well-being she's everything is in place. If you make sure that this relationship is in, is intact, then everything is so much easier. I'm wondering what are some stress behaviors? How can we tell if someone is just out of their depth professionally mm-hmm. or just experiencing a lot of stress? You have very insightful questions. I think it's it's a matter of not only get to know your partners, your team, your employees, but wanting to get to know your employees. I use the words the word receptors. like for me as a person who is very it's my job to be very oriented to the persons in front of me to make sure that the experience I understand the experience he has for me right now. He has in the room with me right now. So I would say to a founder, you should have receptors to the people you're with to try and like abs- absorb information constantly about the person in front of you, about the person, the people you work with. So you can identify and you can, you can say, okay, this is Trestal, this is Sental. This is confused Tal. This is happy Tal. Now, for each of the people I work with, obviously to some capacity that makes sense, to the, each of the person I work with, I know how to identify the twicks. It's so gentle. It's so, you know, it's unique for each individual. It's unique between different mental uh, states. But you as a founder, you as a manager, should have those receptors, should have the ability, or at least train yourself for the ability to understand how your people look like in different mindsets. Just by knowing to recognize where they are in each moment in time, you can approach that. It's much easier for you to help people, to help your team, to help your employees. Did I answer the question? You did. And I'm wondering how you can practice that. How can I train empathical... conscious muscle because when I'm caught up in work and someone steps into my cubicle and asks me a question I'm not doing what you just described registering everything that's happening with that person yes no mm. I'm in the middle of something let's talk later like very to the point you're right is that even something yeah. you can practice uh, yeah definitely it's when you become aware of that you can practice that obviously people with different levels of uh Emotional sensitivity, you know, it's, it's, it's ability. It's, yeah. When you practice it, you can get to certain 
level. It depends on how you started. But just becoming aware of the fact, and one of the, I think maybe the most practical tools I can give is ask people for their feedback. Constantly ask people, how do you feel? How did I make you feel? There is, is there something you want to say? And not only say it, but make sure that you provide the people with the environment that they can speak, that they can talk, they can share, that you're not devastated or destroyed by someone giving you feedback. I'm here. I want to listen. And then you can, this is, I think that's uh, the best tool to start. Just so by, proactively seeking feedback. Exactly. As a manager, as a founder, as the, the authority, I want to allow you the opportunity to, to tell me what you need from me as a manager. So many times we expect people to tell us what's on their mind. And then we're surprised when we learn about it later. Why didn't you say something? And then I know for myself that so many times I just want to be understood. I'm being lazy with how I communicate or I don't communicate or I communicate passive aggressively or whatever it is. And I don't say something and I expect people to get it. But then on the other hand, I expect people to say when something isn't right. We all have opinions about what happens at work, how people do their work, how they behave. How often or how frequently should we be giving feedback in order for it to remain constructive? Like, is there a structure mm -hmm. in place? Like one hour a week where we give each other feedback or just every time you piss me off, I'll say something or like, how do you <laughs> dose feedback? I think it would be irresponsible to say, this is how you should do it. There are methodologies of how to provide feedback. It's a start with the good, don't use more than three aspects for improvement, et cetera. But we're talking about constant environment and creating an environment of conversation. Being communicative and bringing things for discussion is scary because you don't know how the other side would, would react. The magic is to allow people to talk when they need. We don't have to wait for feedback. Feedback is important. Feedback sessions and feedback talks and reviews, et cetera, is important. We're not talking about this. I want to make sure that my people feel comfortable to talk to me. They want to say what's on their mind. They don't have to go to their colleague to share things that will never come to me as a manager, things that I would never know. I want to make sure that my people can talk to me. It's a responsibility. And they have the responsibility to communicate feedback, mm -hmm. but also a take into consideration the fact that that feedback may not be received. So the fact that I voiced my feedback doesn't necessarily mean that I am right or that things will change. Mm. Can, is that a livable scenario where I have something to say? I'm like, no, what you did back then disturbed me in such a way. And you'll say, okay, thank you. I'm sorry that it hurt your feelings, but... No, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. No, because I hear that a lot. I'm sorry this... this Thing hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that you got hurt. Sorry. I'm sorry that you got hurt. No, he didn't got hurt. You hurt his feelings, even if you didn't meant to. So you need to take responsibility of the fact that you hurt him. I'm not, I'm not saying that you did it purpose on purpose, but you've hurt his, his feelings. So take responsibility. And it's our responsibility as managers, as colleagues to make people comfortable to come to us. It's our responsibility. And if, if, even though there's nothing I can do about it, they still feel that they can come to me. I will also always thank them. Thank you for telling me this. Thank you. I'm not sure I can do something about this right now because one, two, three. But maybe we can think together of a way to solve this. We don't have to agree, but I will always respect what the other side is saying. 
and the fact that I might have hurt him. You just reminded me of one of the most hated sentences in, a, in mid-management history, which is, I'm sorry you feel this way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you feel this way. What is that sentence? Is this a way to dodge responsibility? Is this a, a, an expression of empathy? Like, what is it? When, when someone tells me, I'm sorry you feel this way, what do they mean? I'm sure it's a practice of some prof- good practice of somewhere, someone, somewhere, but... Saying, I'm sorry you feel this way, is not taking responsibility. In order to make connection and not, you know, to, to drive disconnection, make people, again, come to us, feel it's okay to communicate, etc., we need to take responsibility. And part of it is saying, I'm sorry I hurt you, I didn't mean to, tell me what I can do different. Being human is uh, complicated. Staying human at the face of uh, stress and anxiety-induced lives of a uh, Startup founders is even harder. Uh, no, thank you for uh, your contribution in that aspect and keeping people uh, safe and sane. I hope that more and more VCs and founders will adopt this approach, onboarding mental health professionals to help cope and deal and at the end of the day, bring a better outcome for everyone. Maybe I would say that being a CEO, it seems very glamorous. Being a startup founder, it seems very glamorous. But it might be the most unrewarding job in the world. It is so hard. It is so challenging. It is so demanding. Maybe I would just want to say that it's okay. It's okay that it's hard. It's okay that, it, that you feel stress. It's okay that sometimes you feel it's too much and you can't handle it. It's okay. It's, just, it's part of it. And seeking for, for help, not specifically from, from a professional, but from someone, and providing this support system, finding your own support system is crucial in the process. And it's, it's, part, of, it's part of it, and it's okay. I can only imagine how different the lives of uh, people around me would have looked if they knew that advice is there and that what they're experiencing is okay and it's part of the process. And I sure hope that this show and your work will be a part of driving the change. Thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. We'll make sure that the contact details are in the show notes so that people can reach out. Definitely. And kudos to F2 for being pioneers in that field. Huge milestone, if you ask me. Thank you. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.